Hello, and welcome back to Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. I'm Chris Yeh, and with my partner, Scott Johnson from Blitz Scaling Ventures, we're going to be looking at venture capital deals that were announced in October of 2023. So first off, Scott, how are you doing? Had a great Thanksgiving, doing really well. As you can tell by the timing of this podcast, it took us a little while to get this one done because somebody's been traveling all over the world. Chris, you want to briefly tell people where you've been? Yeah, for most of the first half of November, I was in Latin America. I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil for a week, speaking at a number of conferences and doing a number of other talks. And then both Jeff Abbott and I were in Monterrey, Mexico for a big announcement with a, about a partnership with the Tech of Monterey for Blitzscaling to be incorporated into their curriculum. And then, of course, it was the Thanksgiving holiday week. So it's been a little difficult to get everything done. Well, not only that, but in, what is it, August, you were in Australia? Well, uh, I mean, there is, I mean, there's a long list of places I've been that includes Saudi Arabia, Australia twice, Spain, uh, so many other places, South Korea, and again, hopefully 2024 will be a little bit lighter. Although, again, it already looks like in I 2024, be heading to Dubai, to Riyadh, possibly to Spain or maybe Brazil again, and of course, Southeast Asia at some point in time. So, yeah. So lots the problem is you're there. you're such an engaging speaker that people really have a lot of demand for your services. So you're going to be going all over the place. I don't see any let up. Unless you start uh, being terrible, which I don't, I don't see that happening. It's hard to say no when people want you to do that. So, yeah, you know, well, the good news is we are actually going to be seeing each other in person, not too long from now. We'll be doing our annual Blitzscaling Ventures Partners Retreat, and so Scott and I will actually be in the same place. Looking forward to that. Um, meanwhile, all these deals are getting done, and we need to talk about them. And in October, it was uh, 77 deals, which is tied with June as the most deals in a month announced by the firms that we designate as the the sort of the brand name firms. And 77 is a pretty good number. It's not the hundreds that we saw at the peak of activity a couple of years ago. But it's, you know, it's it's a good month for the year. I'm not ready to call it a trend yet. We've gone from 50 in July to 77 in October. But we were at 77 in June. So it seems to be sort of a bouncing around thing, sawtooth pattern. And I'll wait until another three months to say that we've gone from, you know, sort of a 60-ish baseline to something higher. But for now, let's be pleased that it's not a, a paltry sum. You know, it's a good month. The uh, the other thing I was reading today from Dan Premack is that overall uh, value of venture deals was down 36% year over year. Now, let's remember a year ago, we were not doing that well. We were definitely in a doldrum. So the fact that it's down further is, you know, not a great indicator. I think, you know, what we're, what we're seeing is some uptick, but over, you know, and that's looking back 12 months. So that's, or is it? I think it was calendar year so far. So maybe there's there's an upward trend built into those numbers. That's that's just an aggregate sum. And then Atomic released some information recently about activity in Europe, which is half of what it was a year ago. So it's, you know, from that point of view, it's like, oh gosh, you know, that's kind of dismal. On the other hand, if you look at the trend from 2020 
to 2023, it's up. So it's it's really, there's the two outlying years are the ones in between, 2021, 2022. Those were very active. For, is that right? 20, yeah. So, That's you know, that, so the, the, those were the outliers. So we, we should think of those as abnormal and we shouldn't think of this as abnormally bad. This, you know, is is sort of good. Yet there's still this sense of malaise out there, Chris. Companies are very defensive, trying to conserve cash and not thinking about growth as much and and not expecting high valuations and and afraid to raise money because everybody says it's tough out there. I don't know. How do you how do you sort of think about that and, and square that the conflicting data points? Well, I think it's all a question of expectations. As you pointed out, people's expectations were dramatically inflated by the frenzy of 2020 and 2021. And as a result, even though here we are in 2023, this is actually a pretty good year overall, pretty close, as you mentioned, to pre-pandemic figures, people are feeling like they're down because, gosh, it was so good earlier. And in fact, you may remember back when the downturn first hit that we did an analysis, you primarily, actually, Scott, you deserve credit for this, that looked at previous downturns and said, you know, we're probably talking about five quarters of downturn at a minimum. And lo and behold, you know, we have gotten here into 2023 and we've started to see some turnaround in late 2023. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was necessarily exactly the five quarters we originally predicted. It might be more like six, but it still is the case that it's pretty close and it feels like we are starting to come out of it. Yep, it does. So um, certainly AI has helped with that and we're we're very much uh, an AI focused firm at this point. We have some AI deals to talk about today in addition to some that are not necessarily AI deals, but, but could be blitz scalers. And so why don't we hop right into that, starting with- Ciro. Well, who do you want to start with, Chris? We're okay. going to start with Ciro. So Ciro, which is at Ciro.ai, S-I-R-O.ai, is an AI powered coach for sales. And what it does is it listens into the various sales conversations and provides post-call feedback and coaching to the failed reps. And this is something that just makes a ton of sense. That's because typically one of the things that sales reps most want more of is what are called ride-alongs, where the experienced sales manager does a ride-along with the sales rep, listens in on the call, and gives them feedback afterwards. The only problem, of course, is there's not enough time for the experienced sales manager to do this all the time, and so people do not get as much feedback as they would like. Ciro is promising to fix that with AI. And I think that that is definitely a good use of AI. I think that when it comes to sales, so much of sales is done as an art and by happenstance rather than as a science. And it feels like this will help a lot. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing is it doesn't quite hit our threshold. We're talking about it because it's close. So when we talked about winner take most, we couldn't give it a 10 out of 10. We gave it a nine out of 10. And that's primarily because the idea is, hey, you know what? There is a level of land grab involved here because what you're selling is going to determine what kind of good coaching is. And so it's not going to be something where, oh, let's use more active verbs. It's going to be something that's going to be specific to each company. So we think that each company is going to have zero and get it embedded in it which is helpful, but it's not all the way to a true network effect. 
And then on the viral growth or distribution side, we gave them a decent score, an eight out of 10, because salespeople are very viral. They switch jobs a lot. They tend to take tools with them where they go. But that still makes it a bit of a tough lift. We gave it an eight for product market fit, which is very good for the stage we're at. And then we gave it tens the rest of the way for market size, gross margin, org scalability, and operational scalability. But all of that still just gets us to 78 out of 100. And as you remember, if for the listeners, Scott obviously remembers, our magic number is 80. So it's close where if we heard something from the CEO, maybe we could change our mind, but it is not something where we're like, oh yeah, this is definitely a blitzscaler. Yeah, we can't inherently know exactly how they're distributing their product. There could be some virality built in that we don't know about. There's a lot we could discover. Uh, you know, it's a Series A round, 14 million. So that's a good solid Series A round in the current environment. Uh, Charles River's there, Index is there. So, um, you know, they've got a solid syndicate behind them. And we've seen some similar products. So if there's going to be a land grab, then they better get going and sell the heck out of this thing. And if you look on their website, then you'll see that they have sales openings. So if you want to be a salesperson for something that helps salespeople, then you don't mind uh, working out of a company in New York, then this this could be an opportunity for you. I think um, overall, we're seeing a lot of these companies that have AI at their core that are interesting. And then there's a lot of companies that have a sort of an AI periphery. So they sort of rubbed some AI on a, on, a, on a product that's largely adding value in a different way. But this one seems to have AI at its core. So it, it, it makes it particularly interesting to, to us. Yeah. All right, next up, the next company is the oddly named Pickle. And its URL is shoponpickle.com. What it is, is it is a rental marketplace for high-end fashion. Uh, if you own a bunch of designer dresses and shoes and things like that, what you can do is you can go on Pickle and join Pickle and you can rent out your stuff. Or if you're a fashionista, you can join Pickle and rent other people's stuff. And Pickle takes care of the insurance and the delivery and the other logistics. So it's an interesting one because we're talking about rentals of items that are highly branded and differentiated. But this is one you didn't particularly like. Yeah, I just when you, when you think about what makes a marketplace work, and this is fundamentally a marketplace, and so it it, it it liquidity matters. So we will give it a ten out of ten in winner take most, which usually indicates it's a blitz scaler. The the the, the place I struggle is what makes a marketplace work is liquidity, and so are you going to find the right piece of clothing for your uh, your particular self? Um, your size and your shape and everything that uh, happens to be nearby and also is the right price. And then if you're the one who's supplying this clothing out of your own closet, you really trust people not to wreck it uh, or make it smell or it's like, it's just like, yeah, you can dry clean stuff, but it, you know, it, it feels like a whole lot of effort for something that I don't think is going to have a big price point. You know what? It's going to be 30 bucks maybe to rent something. It's a oh, no, it's going to be more than more that. that. Yeah. But so like at, at a certain point you could just buy it. There's a competitor called rent the runway. That's well established at this point. So I just, I, I don't know if peer to peer is the way to solve this problem of you know, you're going to a fancy event and you don't want to spend a lot on a dress. So what do you do? 
boy, everyone's going to need to sign up for this for the right dress to be available to you in in the location that makes sense. And it just it feels like getting that market, you know, the buyer and seller to meet here is going to be logistically really challenging. And so I I, I just don't think they'll ever get there. Yeah. And I do agree with you. I mean, this is a case where, as you know, with the blitz scalability analysis, we don't look at the competition. Rent the runway is fairly well established. And it becomes a question of if you're going to rent something, why wouldn't you just rent it from rent the runway? Obviously, it makes sense for you to rent things out if you own a bunch of assets and you're not getting anything out of it. But why would the purchasing side not just go with rent the runway? Yeah, but even then, you know, does it make sense? Because you got to get the thing out of your closet and somehow get it to this person. Right. And even if they've got logistics, there's a, there's, that just feels like a lot of friction to me. I, I worry about it. Um, yeah. So renting out your fancy car for a lot of money to somebody who wants to, you know, use it for a, a sales call or go to the prom or impress a, a date or something I, it, that maybe, you know, Turo, I, I could see this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish them luck. They have, you know, my friends at first marker investors, um, they've got $8 million as a seed round to see if they can make a go. I'm sure they'll sort of start in a very small area and, you know, try to prove it out in a, in a narrow geography and, and then raise some more money to, to see if they could scale it up. And I, I do wish them luck, but I think it's going to be a tough go. Yeah. And first Mark has done a variety of things in this space in the past, I think. So, you know, they have some experience. They're pretty smart. Uh, so we gave him a 10 out of 10 on winner take most. We only gave him an eight on viral growth or distribution. It is probably something where if you had your own set of things, you would advertise it to friends and stuff and say, hey, go on to Pickle and pick it up. Product market fit, still early on, seven. Market size, we dinged them because this is more old couture. So nine, not everyone needs to do this. Gross margin, 10. Org scalability, 10. Op scalability, eight, because you're taking on the issue of cleaning and delivery and so on and so forth. And as with Ciro, it ends up at a 78. Uh, although this one, again, it sounds like you know, there's not a lot of sentiment saying, hey, we love this one. Yeah, I think even if it made the threshold of 80 in that event, maybe product market fit would be higher once we understood the product. I, if, I, I, I'd struggle to pull the trigger on this one. I, I would wait for the B or the C round to really make sure it was working. Yeah. All right. Next up in the continuing line of products with weird URLs, it's called It's Good. Literally, It's Good. And it can be found at itsgood.life.life. And what this is, is it is a recommendation engine based on the friends that you have or people that you follow. And it focuses initially on restaurants, but there may be other things later on, travel and other experiences. And the thing that makes it stand out, and perhaps one of the reasons why they were able to raise a $5 million seed from Lightspeed Venture Partners, is that its co-founder is the great musician, Grammy award-winning artist, John Legend, who I think is a fairly beloved figure. Although again, not necessarily associated with restaurants in my mind. I bet he eats at a lot of restaurants. So I'm he's sure experienced he in that regard. <laughs> when I think of John Legend, I think of uh, his, his music. I think of his wife, Chrissy Teigen. I don't think of restaurants. Yeah. But I'm, as I said, I'm sure they have great experience. And, you know, it, it, people love to follow celebrities and you can follow what they're doing, but you can't necessarily follow where they've gone or what they think is good. 
and it's good is enabling that. So it's not just following your friends. It's also following people you admire. Right. And there's a lot of proof that that's an interesting model, particularly at Twitter. So, or Instagram, you know, there's, there's that that's established that people like to do that. So then the question becomes, will it work for restaurants? And um, I, I, I have always thought that there's a hole in the market as far as not just is the restaurant good, but going to the next level of detail and saying, okay, is this particular dish at this place amazing? Like there's some places where they're all over the whole restaurant, you know, meh, but they make this French onion soup that's amazing or whatever it is. So to me, if you could sort of get somebody who you admire or trust to say this particular thing at this particular place is just outstanding, then that is a data set that I would love to be able to tap into. And it doesn't exist as far as I know. We've seen a couple of like really seed stage deals go after it. It's hard to be established as the place of trust for that kind of thing. I think if you've got something like John Legend sort of getting it going, being the one that that, that uh, primes the pump, perhaps that could help a lot. Consumer deals like this are really tough to get going, but I think there's a lot of value in here if they pull it off. Well, this is one where I think that it's early enough that we could potentially observe it a little bit more over time as it gets further along. Uh, it certainly can end up on the watch list. We gave it a nine out of 10 for winner take most. Again, there are other places you can go for recommendations, but once you have your particular network on, probably helps lock you in nine for viral growth of distribution because if there's anything people love to talk about it's which restaurants they love product market fit of seven since it's early on market size of nine this is a good sized market companies like yelp have obviously been successful here 10 for gross margin 10 for org scalability 10 for upscalability this is a pure software social network type thing all that adds up to a 79 not quite there but pretty darn close i don't know maybe i should reach out to my personal friend john legend <laughs> and chrissy Teigen and and visit their mansion and check out it's good yeah i'm sure they're probably going to listen to this podcast and they'll listen they'll, they'll just reach out to us directly so we could just sit here and wait for them to call uh by the way the the website is it's good.life. I think this is the first dot life uh, uh, URL that I've seen in in uh, in all of this data we've looked at. I've never heard of that one, but um, that's where you can find them. It's good.life. Uh, it's a company out of LA. And as Chris mentioned, Lightspeed did a $5 million round. All right. Last but not least for this month is a company called Blackbird Labs. Blackbird Labs continues the trend of weird URLs. It is blackbird.xyz to indicate the dreaded web three nature of the business. <laughs> yeah, but this is a, this is a use of web three that you and I both like. And we like it a lot. So we like it so much that we previously invested in a company. So what Blackbird <laughs> does is they're creating a token called the fly token that is going to help connect restaurant patrons with the restaurants directly. And it will help the restaurateurs uh, understand what their customers are ordering and doing. It's a token. It's a currency. It's all these different things. And the reason this all sounds familiar is this is what our quite excellent portfolio company Liven does over in Australia and Southeast Asia. Yeah, so they're they're not exactly a, a, a carbon copy, but boy, they're close. And do you remember carbon, Chris, the carbon copies? I don't think people understand where that came from, but they used to make a copy by, anyway, there were machines that 
No, no, let, let, let us explain just for, for our younger <laughs> listeners, emphasizing our age, because that's exactly what we need to do. So what happened in the old days is typewriters, which are computers that don't have chips, would be manually controlled. It's like a keyboard that makes markings on paper. And these typewriters would do this by hitting, uh, a, a, amazingly enough, uh, hitting like a typewriter ribbon with ink on it and they would transfer the ink to the paper. Carbon paper meant that you put in not one sheet of paper, but two sheets of paper with a sheet in between. And that meant that when the impact happened, not only did you get ink from the ribbon onto the main paper, you also got it from the carbon onto the carbon paper. And so you can make two copies at once, which must sound absolutely insane to anyone who just says, why don't you just print two? But people really had to know how to type back then, because if you make a mistake, then that's that's you got to start over. If so you have ever heard the very... term whiteout or liquid paper, this is why it existed <laughs> as well. Again, things that will establish that we are ancient. Yeah. But that perspective helps us be such good investors. OK, uh, Andreessen led a thirty five million dollar round here. And $24 million dollar round. Sorry, $24 million dollar round. Total raised is 35. Thanks for that correction. No problem. It's a Series A, so a good size Series A. Although there were $60 million Series A's, $50 million Series A's, you know, two years ago. So in that sort of strange alien world that existed briefly, this wouldn't be considered a, a good size day around. But in today's world, I think it's it's solid. And um they are out of New York City, where most of their activity is so far. I think if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere in the restaurant world. So that's a good place to get going from. And how did we score it? Well, we gave them a 10 out of 10 for winner take most market. And that is because there is an obvious network effect where obviously the diners want to go where the restaurants are. The restaurants want to go and adopt the currency, which the diners are using. There's also a land grab effect where the diners are pre-committing their spending. They're buying these tokens and getting ready to use them. So that makes it very positive. Viral growth of distribution is at an eight. And that's largely because the restaurants themselves advertise this. Uh, when I was in Australia, in Melbourne, uh, which is Liven's home market, there were restaurants next to each other. They would all have the Liven logo to make it clear that you could make purchases via Liven. Product market fit, still early well, on. Before you leave distribution, yes. we should mention that Ben Leventhal, the founder of Resi, is the one who founded this company. And yes. so if there's someone who knows how to distribute to restaurants and sell to them, this is the man. So that doesn't give them a higher score, but it certainly gives us more confidence in the eight. Absolutely. This is a great founder, somebody who has been in the food space for a long time. He was also founding editor of Eater. And he actually was at American Express because of the Resi acquisition. American Express acquired Resi for about 200 million. Resi had raised about 45 million, so a pretty decent outcome. And American Express Ventures is participating probably because they're very familiar with Mr. Leventhal. So great team in that sense. So product market fit, we gave him an eight. Um, we love what Liven's doing. They've proven that restaurants love this and their patrons love it. So to the extent they're similar, um, you know, I think they deserve the eight market size, gross margin, org scalability, op scalability. This is software. So it's tens across the board for those things. For Even better score, than software, it's running your own currency, being your own federal reserve. I love that business model. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you're careful, the understanding whose money is whose, then it all works very well. Total score of 84 and 
that's a good strong score like yeah, most companies they sneak in with an 81 or 82 like a pure social network would be in the 90s but 84 that's a good score this is really good but it's a conflict of interest we can't invest in this company yeah that's something we should talk about because uh i don't think a lot of people understand that investors with integrity are very careful about investing in competitive companies. And sometimes they do, but generally they ask permission of the existing portfolio company. You know, do you mind if we make this investment and we promise not to share information across from one to the other and all these things. And it's just hard to put up a Chinese wall in a small venture firm. So it, it'd be very difficult to not have information leaking from one company's boardroom to the other. So I, I, I just worry about that. Now we're not in the boardroom, so we could make an argument that, you know, we don't really have proprietary information and we think this is the right space and you guys are working in different parts of the world. And those are all valid arguments. So we could go ask Sharuz if at Liven, um, you know, what he, what he thinks of this idea. But I, I really, um, I, I think it would, it's just too close and I, I don't feel like we could do it. No, I agree. Uh, and again, we wish them well, but not too well. Hopefully at some point in time, Liven can acquire them. So what's the blitzscaling strategy here, Chris? You know, Liven's well-funded and they've got a great product that's ahead of Blackbird. Uh, how should they respond to this threat? Well, the classic response would be, gear up if you can raise the money go ahead gear up and expand aggressively into the united states you don't want to cede the united states market to someone else and it feels like liven is further along it's in operations it doesn't seem like blackbird labs has even put out its currency yet so this is an opportunity and i would advocate strongly for trying to figure out okay can we go ahead and make our mark in the united states as liven before blackbird really starts to get going well, and Liven is full stack all the way back to the suppliers. Yeah. They have a they have they they have a great customer acquisition strategy that it's I, I don't think Blackbird has uh, yet. So they're ahead, and they've got a much deeper well of tech. And you know, but it's halfway around the world, and it's tough to expand. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Yep. Um, some very big companies have been built that focused on uh, you know Asia and Europe. So this is it's not necessary that they do it i think it would be is, so do you think this is a, a winner take most globally or can there be two winners sort of one eastern one western hemisphere i think there can be two winners this is a little more local to each individual market a la uber which is why there is not a single global winner in the ride hailing space but i do think that it is a good idea for Liven to aggressively consider expansion into the United States to stave off a potential threat. That's such a plum market that it just to let it go is tough. All right. Well, so now you've got a, a glimpse into how we have our partner meetings at Blitzscaling Ventures, and you've gotten a window into four of the deals that we think are pretty interesting in October. Yeah. And guess what? It's almost December, which means we'll be coming back at you with November deals shortly. 
And it'll be very interesting to see, does it continue the trend we've seen of the rebound or are we starting to get into the end of the year seasonality? And one of the things we might want to do for the next broadcast is to take a look at over our history of looking at these deals. How did the end of the year go? How did November and December tend to turn out in previous years? So watch for that in our next broadcast. On behalf of Scott Johnson of Blitzkin Adventures, I'm Chris Yeh. Thank you guys for listening. Please do, as always, rate, review, subscribe, do all those various things. And again, if you are interested in being shouted out as a loyal listener to this podcast, reach out to myself or Scott, and we just might mention you on the next broadcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.